0: Hey, what's going on everyone? My name is Emmanuel Recapitis and thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Left to Inspire, the show where we sit down with people that are absolutely crushing it in life and we dissect exactly how they got there, the failures that they've experienced, the breakthroughs that they've achieved, and most importantly, we do all of this with the core central purpose of creating tangible action that you, the listener, can take. So if you're ready to finally start taking action on you, on your dreams, then you're in the right place. So welcome to the show and get ready to unlock your full potential. All right, so we are live. Uh, John Livesey, you are my first guest on the podcast. So welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: It's an honor to be on your show and congratulations on launching.
0: I appreciate that. So this is to the audience, to the listener, or if you're watching this, once we have this up to the viewer, um, I'm really excited about today's interview because this person is someone that's near and dear to my heart and has had a, in the short amount of time that we've known each other, he's had a big impact on my life and what he's going to bring to the table today is something that a lot of his messaging, yes, does talk to people that sell, but it's super applicable to anyone that's looking to find some type of breakthrough a way to just share their vision share what they're passionate about uh and to get people to actually lean in to go from and it's his saying but to go from invisible Mm -hmm. to irresistible so i'm super pumped about this and for for you john i just want you to do a, a quick intro about who you are what you do And then I want to jump into your story to really just uncover how you got to where you are today and how you're impacting people.
1: Well, you know how so many coaches or professional services, people like lawyers or financial planners struggle to stand out in this sea of sameness. They're actually drowning in it. And so what I do as the pitch whisperer is I teach them how to tell stories because whoever tells the best story is the one that gets hired. And after working with me, whether I speak to their sales meeting or they take my online course experience, they become black belts in storytelling and their business takes off. And you've been doing that for how long? Oh, about seven years. I've been in sales for decades because I'm way older than you are. And so I have a sales career. So I understand how a lot of people hate selling. They feel pushy. Um, and I uh, realized for my own sales career, um, like Lexus would say, you know, we've looked at 50 different magazines. We've narrowed it down to 10. We're going to have you each come in back to back to back on media day. Um, Don't tell us any numbers. We've already analyzed the numbers or you wouldn't be in the final 10 and we're going to pick three. And so I was up to, you know, some people were deer in headlights if they couldn't talk about circulation and readers per copy and stuff. So It was all about what story you're going to tell a marketing idea, whatever it is, that's going to make them feel like this is an irresistible idea. We have to advertise with you.
0: So was that something that came natural to you in regards to learning to utilize stories to sell more? Or was that something that you picked up along the years?
1: Well, I majored in advertising because I loved it when I realized that it was the combination of entertainment and business okay i had you know i knew every jingle to every commercial and i had actually worked at an ad agency in los angeles um, where we would create commercials for movies coming out on home video back in the day when blockbuster was alive and thriving and we could reposition a movie that had not done well theatrically and get people to go rent it or buy it and so i thought, ah that's really where i honed my storytelling skills how to take a two-hour movie my job was to sell and convince Disney and Warner brothers and clients like that to work with us. Um, but then I got really hands on in the editing bay with the editors and the notes from the clients on how to take that two hour movie and make it a really great 32nd story, um, that would pull people in in a different way than it might have done theatrically.
0: Mm, Interesting. So can we go into,
1: I guess your past, uh, to really (laughs) just lead
0: up to how you got to where you are today. Is that cool?
1: Sure. Well, I majored in advertising, as I said, in the University of Illinois, Um, and then I moved to Silicon Valley and computers were just beginning back then. That's how long ago it was. And I thought, huh, you know, they would say, you know, Apple ran a radio commercial with Dick Cavett saying, get a computer at your house, put your recipes on it. It was before the Internet. So um, I thought I want to get into tech instead of advertising. And so I got a job selling multimillion dollar mainframe computers to big companies like TRW that would track your credit scores. And I would um, have to compete against IBM. And they had, you know, a monopoly back then. And they would say, you know, if you buy something that's not IBM and it breaks and it broke a lot back then, we're going to point the finger and you'll get fired. And I thought, oh, my advertising background has kicked in. There's a lot of psychological re- fear, uncertainty, and doubt, even though my product might be less expensive and more reliable or faster, that's still not enough to get people to change. So I really honed my sales skills there. And then um, my storytelling skills in the advertising agency business, pitching and watching movies. And then I had a 15-year sales career at Condé Nast, which is Condé Nast Traveler, GQ, Wired, Vanity Fair, Arc Digest, W. There's like 23 brands at the time. Um, And I had to tell a story to get people to want to buy from me. And uh, you know, the story does have a little bit of drama for our hero in the story, in this case, me, where back in 2008, the mortgage crisis hit and luxury advertising plummeted and I got laid off. And it was like a kick to the gut, Emmanuel. I was like, ugh. And then I realized I'd lost my job, but not my identity. And I um, said to a friend what was going on. He's like, you know, this reminds me of what happened to silent movie actors. Some of them made it to talkies and some didn't. So you have to decide if you're going to be that kind of person that embraces new technology like a silent movie actor. And that mindset really helped me go, okay, I've got to learn how to sell digital ads. And I got a job at the Daily Beast and I had to launch that website's advertising. And it was hard. It was a whole new language and um, the pay was less. But after two years, I got a call back from Condé Nast saying, you know, we have a new editor, we have a new website, we want someone who can sell print and digital, and you're doing that, would you consider coming back? And I did, and ended up winning salesperson of the year for the whole oh, company, yeah. not just my magazine, it was 400 salespeople around the world. And that was my big aha moment when I realized I'm the same person, whether I'm getting laid off or winning this award. And then I went into the corporate division there for a while, and then left to go do my own thing of being a speaker and helping people tell better stories and getting off what i call the self-esteem roller coaster where you only feel good about yourself if your numbers are up or things are going well and bad about yourself if things are down and storytelling and the stories we tell ourselves really help us get off that self-esteem roller coaster because i tell everybody we're the movie directors of our own life and we can yell cut at any time if we are playing a horror movie out in our head about what the future is going to be, we can yell cut or like you and I moving to Austin, we changed the location of the movie. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So that's
0: decision, by the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's uh, I feel the same way about Austin and having getting you to be a friend in my life. So that's, that's a quick summary of my background. Some of it I don't think you even knew.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. There's definitely some new stuff in there. Um, do want to i do want to point out two things because i i think for the listener um there's there's two important lessons there that you know some of these people could be going through especially because we just got out of or i we're still in a pandemic so um you know last year tens of millions of people lost their jobs and i'm sure a lot of them it, for for them it was a, a kick a, a kick to the stomach um for me as well 2020 was blessed that it was the year that i got to start my company but also it was the year that everything was awesome and all of a sudden boom starting over and that was you know like you you went through that experience in 2008 but something you didn't mention but it it was the reason why you got that call back two years later was the way and and this is from from your ted talk which i think we could talk about a little bit but Mm -hmm. um the way you left that company Mm. you didn't leave on bad terms, you didn't burn right. bridges, you added value even on your way out. And yeah. I think that's really important for a lot of people to understand is yes, losing your job, it can hurt your ego, whatever it may be, it sucks, but it's also a blessing. It can turn into blossoming opportunities, maybe not overnight, it might take time, uh, but it allows you to to create new ways. Like if that would have not happened, there might be a, a A world that john livers isn't speaking and helping people Mm -hmm. you know so i I just wanted to point that out because i think that's really important to the listener if they've lost their
1: job or whatever that may be it's it's it's
0: really just about the mindset
1: exactly and you you know you really flushed out a detail there that's in my tedx talk which is be the lifeguard of your own life that unlike in a hurricane no one's going to send a helicopter to rescue us and it's all about embracing disruption and this is before the pandemic And the big lesson i got from being a lifeguard is you know when somebody was drowning i didn't panic i stayed calm and the same thing happened to me when i lost my job and so i think if we have some training on how to not panic and be resilient but the fact that i didn't panic when i was told to clean up my office in 24 hours and said well don't you need a status report and they said well that would be great but everyone else is so angry they're storming out and i said i'm not going to do that to clients i've watched them get married and have kids so Little did I know that one decision is what allowed me to get rehired back two years later. And as you said, sometimes it takes a while and I had never dreamed that I'd get rehired. And, um, you know, it, it required my boss and me to, um, not come from a place of ego for that to work. hundred percent.
0: And I, I do want to acknowledge for the listener as well. And, and this the link will be within the description, but if you haven't checked out john levitt's ted talk it's got over a million views already uh it's called be the lifeguard of your own life which is it's really impactful i mean i i watched it before but i i did as a refresher as well and i did take some notes so i i want to just kind of sure. talk about a couple of things because i think it's really applicable but you talk about three ways that you can be the lifeguard of your own life uh, and take control and essentially get out of your own way but Uh, the three things you talk about is not burying your head in the sand, trust your instinct and don't get stuck in your comfort zone. So can we kind of unravel those a
1: little bit? Yes. Well, the first one is, um, you know, do you feel like an ostrich, right? And you want to bury your head in the sand when stress comes up, or do you feel like a peacock, right? And you just say, listen, I'm still here. I'm still in business. The peacock makes itself beautiful to let people know you know, scare off predators and also to woo mates. I love that. And when I talk to people about that, I've had people come up to me years later and say, every time I want to bury my head in the sand and pull my covers up with the bed and just not deal with things. I remember I can choose to be a peacock that we're the thinker thinking our thoughts. Our thoughts don't think us again. It's that movie analogy cut at any time. So that's what I mean by not burying your head in the sand. Like an ostrich. And you got to but let's reframe it and call it be a peacock and and double down on who we are and that our identity is bigger than any one thing happening to us.
0: And then the, the, the one about trusting your instinct is just kind of maybe getting out of that, uh, analytical
1: brain and just, yes. Um, you know, like as an entrepreneur, I will say to myself, listen, you've always been able to figure out how to make money. You've always been able to pay your bills. What fear thought are you allowing in your head that is starting to paint this horror movie that this time you're not going to be able, you're not going to be okay? And so our instinct is great for fight or flight, but I remember listening to Elizabeth uh, Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, talk about fear, and she said, "Any time I start a new book or a new project, I realize fear is going to come along, and I just make it ride right in the back seat. It can't touch the steering wheel or the radio station." And I love that analogy that instead of resisting the fear, we just say, you know what, I'm still the driver of my life. So that's embrace my, it. my instincts are, yes, I don't need the instinct of this is I'm not being chased by a tiger. So that can calm down that negative because it's the same stuff all the time. You know, you're not good enough. This is never going to work. You're going to be broke. You're going to be homeless, whatever. Right? Yeah. So once you say, okay, Thank you. I know you that's your job and I'm going to trust in myself. I think of myself as a stock, Emmanuel. And, you know, like I can put money in Tesla. and I'm glad I have. But, you know, I also put money in my uh, I think of me as a stock. I know my skills. I know my work ethic. I know my relationships. I'm like, I think that stock, John, let stock say stocks going to do well. I'm going to take some money out of savings and invest in it and uh, trust that it's going to pay off.
0: You're 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 building a brand yeah i love that and the third one that that you talk about is is don't get stuck in your comfort zone and i think this one actually can influence the second one which is uh trust your gut instinct because yeah you know like for example if i'm currently in my comfort zone and i'm working a job that i'm not happy at Mm. it's going to be hard for me to trust my gut instinct because every day that i'm going to work i'm not trusting my gut instinct um so if i can find ways to start getting myself out of my comfort zone that I think can influence the other one.
1: Well, you know, in the corporate world, they call it golden handcuffs. Yeah. That they give you so many perks and benefits that you're like, well, I don't want to pay for my own phone and my own gas and 401k and blah, 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 That's matched. And my own insurance is, you know, that's So, um, the comfort zone, the thing about a comfort zone is it shrinks. It doesn't stay the same. We're either pushing the boundaries, or it's shrinking. And the illusion is that, well, I just stay, I'm comfortable now. I want everything to stay the same. And it's like, no, it's going to get smaller and smaller, you know, to the point where some people are afraid to leave their house. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, there's, uh, you know, ironically, there's a new show on Netflix talking about, you know, like some people, the comfort zone becomes wearing the mask during the pandemic and yeah. then taking the mask off in public becomes, now I'm out of my comfort zone. Putting on the mask was out of my comfort zone, but then that became my comfort zone. And now taking it off, so it's a it's a fascinating process that we all have to constantly push out of our comfort zones for any kind of change.
0: Do you have anything that you recommend or any practices that you do? Maybe it's like some affirmation or something whenever you're feeling that sense of discomfort and you wanna get through it?
1: Mm-hmm my life is unfolding perfectly no matter what along with everything is always working out for me you know einstein said one of the biggest decisions you'll ever make in your life is i live in a friendly safe universe or the opposite and then you look for things to support that belief
0: i love that goes back just straight to the mindset yep so you mentioned that you went on to Starting your own company, you've been doing that for seven years or so, right? Mm-hmm. And that was that your path that got you into keynote speaking. Uh, mm. One that's really interesting to me because eventually I want to be on stage. Um, but then also, I think it, for anyone to know how they can go from being an expert at something to sharing their expertise with right. the world, uh, I think that'd be really important.
1: Well, when I was selling advertising, I. Um also wrote my first book which is gosh 16 years ago now and i remember saying to my boss at the time the publisher uh that i'd written this book and she's like fantastic how can we support you because back then it really wasn't encouraged to be an entrepreneur it was like your whole life was supposed to be dedicated just to that job even if you wrote the book on nights and weekends so what i would do when i would call on land rover and jaguar which used to be based in southern california i'd say You know, if you run ads in W Magazine, it's an upscale magazine. The people who read this magazine can afford your car. Um, The ad will get them to maybe take a test drive when they're looking. That's the job of the ad. Then, as added value, the magazine's going to buy copies of my book and I'm gonna give a talk to your sales team Mm. on how to sell to the luxury market. So it's going to help them close more sales. The ad drives traffic to the dealership and my talk and book will help you close more sales. And what I realized was, even if you're selling something like a Land Rover or Jaguar, those people still have a fear of rejection. Yeah. And so I—that's how that really is what started my speaking career. While I was still employed, I was speaking to our advertisers, and then I started speaking to other companies that weren't advertising, and then I kept going from there. Um, so that was um, the beginning of my speaking career.
0: And so for anyone that is looking to, to, to build a speaking career, um, what it obviously depends on the talent that you have and the expertise that you have, but, um, I guess, what does that look like in regards to, um, the trajectory that it can have on, like, did it impact other parts? Obviously it's helped you build your brand. Uh, but it has it impacted other areas of your life, your business and so forth. Relationships.
1: Right. Well, I think of uh, a speaker very much like an actor. Okay. And, um, you know, there's actors on daytime soaps and then there's actors on primetime, you know, TV shows and then there's movie yeah. stars and sometimes it, and cable, you know, sometimes it crosses over. But usually it was if you're on a Grey's Anatomy, you're probably not Julia Roberts. Right. You know, and vice versa. So you're not the star of a TV show, but yeah. you're making a lot more money than a, a soap opera actor. Um, so same thing is with speaking. You know, you start where you are. And then if you have a book, you know, because within the word authority is the word author. So whatever you're the author of, you're the authority of. So that helps your credibility. And then giving a TEDx talk helps your credibility because you have footage of yourself. And I work with people who um, work with me on learning how to tell better stories to win new clients. One of the bonuses I give them is helping them craft a story for a TEDx talk, which is very different than a talk I give in front of a sales organization. Um, you, it's, you're, it's a journey that you're giving the listeners on uh, an idea worth sharing, um, and then you want to get to the place where you're, you know, getting hired. Then you get footage of yourself because before um, speaking bureaus and agents represent you, they need to have footage, and all of that just gets you to the interesting rung of my ladder, from invisible to irresistible. In the middle is interesting. All of that work is strictly to get somebody. you know what i'm interested we'll narrow it down between john and two other speakers to, and we'll talk to you to have an interview to see if we want to hire you as the speaker versus somebody else because we've seen the footage because what the footage does is it de-risks the choice the event planner sees you in front of 300 people at a professional ballroom set up and they're like okay he's not going to be a deer in headlights when he gets in front of a big crowd or whatever right yeah um and we like the content we got a sampling of what it what it is. And then you have to sell yourself as a speaker against why you should work. And then of course, that's where the storytelling comes in.
0: And the acting, you step into whatever that environment needs to be. Right. Because your message, your, yes, your you overall customize message,
1: your talk to that audience. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what interest,
0: uh, what industries, by the way, do you, do you speak in, um, my
1: big niche is healthcare and technology. So sometimes it's an overlap. And I've spoken to Anthem Insurance and Blue Cross and Blue Shield, but also um, Honeywell, they make equipment that uh, is in the operating rooms. And uh, Olympus Medical, they use the camera technology for scopes and um, they wanted to, they were tired of coming in second place when they would pitch against other people. And I said, well, what are you saying? And they said, well, this equipment makes the surgeries go 30% faster, do you want one? I'm like, yeah, there's no story there. That's a left brain numbers, speeds, and feeds pushing out information. And people buy emotionally and back it up with logic, not the other way around. So I ask some questions and then I help them craft a case story instead of a case study. And the story is imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was six months ago using our equipment. And he could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected. And if you've ever waited for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. He put them out of their waiting misery and said, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer. And then turned to the rep and said, you know, that's why I became a doctor for moments like this. And the rep now tells that case story to another doctor at another hospital who sees themselves in the story, that's the secret, and says, you know what, that's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. Boom. Olympus said, wow, that gives us chills. Not only are we not telling stories like that, it never occurred to us to make the patient's family a character in the story. And you'll notice that they're not the hero of the story. The doctor is. So there's a lot of nuance on how to tell a really good story, but the checklist I give everybody is it should be clear because the confused mind always says no. Not a lot of tech stuff in there. It should be concise. That's a relatively short story that people can remember and repeat. That's the other secret to it. And compelling. When you tug at people's heartstrings, they open their purse strings. I love that.
0: And because it seems like, especially in the corporate world, because I think entrepreneurs have a plethora of stories that they incorporate into their stuff because it's you know they're building their own businesses. But mm-hmm. I would say that I have seen, in pretty much every company that I've been at, especially with salespeople, it's really hard for them. It, it's called techno babble it's it's yeah and they just get right into things that you know goes right over the the person's head that they're talking to right um so what you're saying is to find ways to create a story around something that your company has done that could touch someone's heart to just kind of get an opening
1: yeah and because here's the secret the better you describe someone's problem the better they think you have their solution and so when you're just you're just telling a story of someone who is just like them and you show empathy for their pain points and if you've been in their shoes even better then they want to go on the journey with you 100 um
0: i do i do want to backtrack to the ted talk and just and just ask in regards to actually landing that ted talk Mm -hmm. what was that journey like had you already been Uh, speaking
1: i Well, first of all, it's interesting because so many people have a dream of giving a TEDx talk. Um, And just to voice it was, my inner voice was going, who do you think you are? I was like, wow, all right, that's some interesting resistance. And I mentioned it to a friend of mine. He goes, oh, I know someone who puts on an event down in San Diego and does a training on this. And I said, great. And so I went through that training and... um, they shot some footage of me speaking, which I could then submit to the application. Um, but it took me a year and a half to get a yes. Wow. I replied to 15 different places and I had to walk my own talk of never take rejection personally. And someone said, listen, you're a good speaker, but your topic doesn't fit our theme. They, these TEDx events have themes So if it's all about artificial intelligence, my talk is not relevant to that. And all the speakers of the day are talking about that. So I finally found uh, one that said yes, and um, the theme was amazement. So I incorporated that into my talk. Um, And the experience was incredible. Um, you, You rehearse, you send videos of yourself, they give you feedback, and then you go there and there's a dress rehearsal on the stage the night before. You get to meet the other speakers. Um, And then the day of, of course, it's live and recorded with an audience. And, um, you know, like, again, part of that experience for me was I got to meet Bonnie St. John, who lost the lower half of her left leg when she was 11. And she went on to compete in the Paralympics downhill skiing. So she's standing on stage with a skirt on so you could see her prosthetic leg and her Paralympic medals. And she's talking about how in competition, you ski down two separate mountains and they take the average of your time to determine your ranking. And she said the first mountain I was the fastest. And then the second mountain everyone was much icier and everybody was falling and I fell too. And then the average is that, oh, you came in second place. While you were the fastest going down, you weren't the fastest to get back up. And that's her whole talk is about resilience and how fast do we get back up? And I thought, what a great talk. And I got to stay out of my head of feeling like, how do I follow that? Right. Yeah. That I'm at that same level. Otherwise I wouldn't have been selected. So that's also part of the process is to not let yourself get in your head, comparing yourself to the other speakers that day.
0: Yeah. Cause that can definitely, you know, take you down a, a rabbit hole. You don't want to be in a, a, a dark spot that you just, you know, any, And that's what I I would say leads to depression and things like that. Just letting that conversation win—that you're not worthy, that you're not valuable enough.
1: Yeah. One of the things I do is I focus on my own progress, and I tell about when I was a competitive swimmer, in breaststroke you put your head down and you and you pull your head up. You too? Oh, cool. Breaststroke as well. And um, that was not my favorite stroke, but I had to do it as part of a I am thing, and and um, so there's always this guy who beat me. And, uh, you know, the gun goes off, we're swimming, I'm focused on the wall, I touch the wall, it measures your time to the thousands of a second. And they go, oh, you beat him by half a second. I go, how is that possible? Like, well, you stayed focused on the wall. He pulled his head up for a breath. He turned to see if he was ahead of you or not. And that half a second of looking caused you to win. So that became a whole metaphor. When you focus on your own progress, you win. And I looked at people like Jeff Bezos, you know, starting off just selling books. Remember how long ago that was? On amazon and he said to his team listen we got 500 people Barnes and noble has 2500 people but we're not going to focus on that we're going to focus on being the best online book company not worrying about brick and mortar and so you can it's on and on and on it's that uh susie orman said you know real estate agents the ones at the top of their game versus the ones struggling are the ones that focus on getting up back up fast and don't compare themselves to other people Hundred percent,
0: and I, w- I want to point out to the perseverance that you had um, in regards to fifteen applications and fourteen prior no's. For yeah. the for most people, that one no is enough to just take, you know, send them home. So I think that's a really important life lesson. Um, even for me, like, there's some clients that have taken me six, seven months, and I'm sure in the future it's going to be like two years before I can close them. Uh, But it's just about continually, continuously pushing through, not in a salesy way, but in just a way that is just your authentic self and wanting to add value. Um, So that's what you did. And that's how you landed that talk. So that's pretty fucking awesome. (laughs) Um, Now I want to go into a couple more of the applicable things um, that the audience can take action on, Mm. uh, because there's there's three things that uh, once free and then the other are are things that you have to offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But first I wanna go into your book because I think your book is a a great segue into your world. Obviously you have a podcast and other content, Mm -hmm. uh, but your book is really applicable. So uh, what's the title of your book? And I wanna jump into a couple of the chapters of that school.
1: Sure, Better Selling Through Storytelling.
0: So within
1: that book obviously
0: we're, we're we're focused on on storytelling and the power that it can or the impact that it can have on your life. Um, and you, you you've talked about the importance of, of having a story, but chapter one is talking about um, the best story gets the sale um, and I found that really interesting because I was listening to. So I, you know, I design user journeys and all that. So I've been studying even more on webinars because webinars were the thing that really allowed me to, or like turned on the light bulb. Okay, there's there's room for growth in this marketing space, mm-hmm. uh, which is also the the mindset of abundance, not scarcity. Yes. Um, but anyways, uh, this this guy has done $50 million with webinars and he was breaking down the eight steps. And the first one, is start with a story and i found that really interesting i'm like that applies perfectly
1: to what john talks about
0: so um why why start with a story
1: well when i was working with gensler which is the world's largest architecture firm and they were bidding against two other firms to renovate the pittsburgh airport um they flew me out to coach them for two days before they won and it's a billion dollar sale by the way it's okay. the biggest thing i've ever been involved with that's how high the stakes were and they had an hour and i said what are you going to say what's the opening well thanks for this opportunity we're excited to be here i go no uh that's cliche everyone says it it's not memorable nobody cares that you're excited so we started with a story because our brains are wired for stories our defenses go down when you tell a story if you say let me give you some facts and figures you're going to start analyzing but if you're like let me tell you a story our brain's like oh maybe this will even be entertaining and you open yourself up to listening to the story as opposed to the pushing out the information I love so that's that. the big difference yeah
0: and then chapter two goes on to talk about creating your own reality um is that just going back to um in in, in the forward for for your book you talk about the abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset um that you also talked about how uh, you had that inner conversation that was trying to get in the way of you giving your speech and the impact you were having. So, is creating your own reality just finding a way to block out the noise and not let that impact you?
1: Yes. I mean, if you look at uh, Tiger Woods, his dad used to distract him all the time when he was practicing, so that when he was under a lot of stress, ah. he could get into the zone and nothing would distract him, whether it's cameras or. People shouting stuff out. So yes, it's all about focus and not let distractions of what other people say or what you think they're going to say. If yeah. you're giving a talk, you can't be standing up in front of people worrying about whether they like you or not.
0: Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. I, uh, it's, I'm, I'm super early. I'm, I'm not even a speaker, but that's, um, that's one thing that it's like one of the key things if you're giving a talk is if you're trying to get people to like you in that room, you've lost because it's going to you're in your head you're trying to appease someone else yeah So I love that um, and the last chapter that I, I just want to mention uh, and then if anyone else wants to go check it out uh, mm-hmm. we'll talk about where you can get the book it'll be in the description but um, getting your foot in the door you know there's a lot of people that there's like a dream job that they want but they have no idea how they can get there uh, how right. they can get a foot in the door so um what what exactly is that chapter about and
1: how can someone find a way to get a foot in the door even if it takes
0: 10 years to do it
1: <laughs> well warm introductions are the best way to get a, a job okay and then part of it is is because you know we've, the myth is people have to know like and trust you before they hire you or buy something but the order's all wrong you have to tr- build trust first and trust is transferred so social proof builds trust warm introductions build trust so i like say, you know, when I introduced you to David Gonzalez at the internet marketing party and said, you, you're going to love this guy, Emmanuel, he's just moved to Austin with his wife, that trust I, that I had built with David got transferred to you. So that's how you, the same thing. If someone says, oh, um, you have a candidate I should talk to, boom, they're at the top of the list because that trust is transferred. And so that's the best way to do that.
0: I I will say to the audience, um, there's something about giving that can really impact your life. uh, Because the only reason that John Levesay made that warm introduction Mm -hmm. uh, is because I started giving to someone that is now a close friend. And because of that, he made a warm introduction to John Levesay. And because I gave and freely was just wanting to add value Mm -hmm. and I didn't have ego behind it. Right. Um, that led to that introduction, which has had a huge impact uh, in the brief period that it's it's been in my life. Um, so uh, very, very appreciative to that. And that's why you're gonna always have a a, a soft spot in my in my oh, heart for that. <laughs> um, okay, well, we also something that I, I wanna, give to the audience for every episode is something that I created for you uh, that I think is super applicable. And literally you'll get something in your inbox, a script to tell your elevator pitch, but it's actually called an elevator story. So uh, talk to us about that. And then there's going to be a link in the description for them to to take that free quiz,
1: I guess. So everyone needs a good elevator pitch and few people have one. And most people say, you know, they either are deer in headlights when someone says, hey, what do you do in a social situation? Or they think it's an invitation for a 10-minute monologue. So the goal is to get people intrigued enough to say, wow, that's interesting, Emmanuel. You're a user journey. Tell me more. What does that even mean? But the way to do that is to not say, I'm a lawyer, I'm a coach, I'm a consultant, I'm a tech, whatever. You want to start very conversationally. It's five steps. And, you know, you, you know how and then you describe who you help, what problem you solve, and then you tell about your solution as opposed to jumping in with your solution. And then the most important part is what is life like for people after they've worked for you? How do they feel? What's the results and their revenue? And so it's it's short and concise and people say something in there that intrigues them to wanna to know more. And you've done a brilliant job of creating these steps in a way that's very interactive and it only takes two minutes and people can you know just go to John Livesey dot com forward slash free elevator story or it's on my website and you can see it and and fill it out and it'll ask you a few questions about who you help and um, it'll email you a little elevator story that you can start to practice on
0: yeah and i will say uh i did this months ago in terms of using the you know how Mm -hmm. Uh, i didn't use it exactly how you said but it was based on what you told me and whatever i could remember and i was talking to one of my buddies who's just crushing it in in the tech space and then crypto as well. And I I was getting advice from from him because I ultimately want to build a software company. And he just he's like, okay, give me your elevator pitch. And I literally took that approach and he was (laughs) blown away. He's like, wow, that's that's really impressive. And at that point, I'm like, oh, wow, that really works. So for any of you that are trying are struggling to find ways to share what you do in an interesting way, like, like John said, it takes two minutes, go to his website or click in the link in the description, uh, take that free quiz and you're going to get an email with an exact script. It will be a draft. If it's not perfect, just refine it, but practice mm-hmm. that and make it your elevator story. So with with that, there is something that a next level to to immerse yourself in, in John Levesay's world. Uh, and I know we only have two minutes, so. <laughs> really quickly, uh, you I know you have a training program. I've taken it, I love it. It was super applicable. It takes the quiz and anything else, the book to the next level. Uh, can you talk to us about that real quick?
1: Sure, it's um, for anybody like a coach or somebody who's drowning in this sea of sameness, it's 10 minute modules and you get little quizzes, but the real thing about it is you get to work with me in a private Facebook group for eight weeks and practice your stories. Whether it's your elevator story you want practice on or a case story to win new business. And a lot of coaches are saying, oh my gosh, I I onboarded two new clients in one week without feeling pushy for the first time. This is amazing. I never realized how important it is to be concise or I thought I was a good storyteller, but I wasn't getting people to see themselves in the story. So there's lots of great um, techniques. So even if you're good at it, I can make you a black belt in it. And again, whoever tells the best story is gonna get the sale.
0: And the training program is called
1: Revenue Rockstar Mastery. The sale is in the tail T-A-L-E. I love it.
0: Okay. And last, I know you got to hop. So, uh, one more time, where can people learn more about you? You have a podcast as well, real quick.
1: Just go to Johnlivisay.com. And if you can't remember any of that, just Google the pitch whisperer and my content will show up.
0: I love it. John, thank you so much for being the first guest and for shedding all the knowledge you did.
1: Great honor. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Well, there you have it, guys. We just finished an episode with John Livesey, The Pitch Whisperer. I hope this episode provided value to you and it gives you a clear roadmap that you can at least go ahead and take that free quiz and and find out exactly what your elevator story sounds like so you can start getting people to lean into what you do, so you can start getting some attention on your value, on yourself. You deserve to to shine, you deserve to be seen. And if you apply what John does, you will literally go from invisible to irresistible. Whether you wanna land that dream job or start and scale your company, you need to be able to sell. You need to be able to get people to buy into your vision. So with that said, Take that free quiz, guys. I promise you it'll help you. And thanks for tuning in. Peace.